Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the Spoken Word program on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR broadcasts from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and into the future. With me in the studio today is Claire Gaskin, who was one of the feature poets at the Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival closing night ceremony at uh, Brunswick on the weekend. Claire is a poet, performer and teacher, and the author of many books, including A Snail in the Ear of the Buddha, A Bud, which was shortlisted in the South Australia Literature Awards, and one of my favourites, as well as Paperweight, which was published by John Hunter Publishers in 2013. She's also working on a new book due for release through John Hunter later this year, and we'll talk about that soon. Welcome to the program. Good to be here. You've just performed at the closing night of the Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival. How was that? Yeah, it was it was it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. It was a great night. Yeah, I was surprised that there was a green room. <laughs> People were talking about the green room and smoke machines and I thought they were joking until I got there and there was a green room and there was a smoke machine, so it's quite different. So on the night, I remember you said that you'd been doing poetry and spoken word for about 30 years. Yeah, that's right. How much has it changed in that time? It has changed a lot. It's really great the way it's changed. It's much more respectful than what I remember it 30 years ago when... Um, Getting up in a pub was pretty gnarly. I remember going to a place called the Lizard Lounge, which was a cafe, I think, in Northgate that Tom, he, he called himself Tom the Poet in those days, or Tom the Street Poet. I think now he calls himself Tom the the World Poet. And he ran that venue along with some others. I don't think I read there. Uh, maybe... Uh, the Perseverance might have been one of my first readings. Um, so what years are we talking about there? We're probably talking about late 80s. So you, you would have been a young woman in I the late 80s? I was definitely a young woman in the late 80s. <laughs> there wasn't many young women. It, it was a fairly political um, scene. It was sort of involved in the disarmament movement which was great. I think that I felt comfortable with the with the politics of the scene at that time, but it wasn't really a really good place for young women. It was difficult to, to get up on stage. It was very male-dominated. It was very loud. Yeah, those people like Kerry Scuffins, Lauren Williams, um, Kerry Lockery were very good, excellent brave performers that would get up and really wow an audience. I felt like I wasn't overtly funny or political or really big on performance. So I felt it was um, a little bit harder. It was a tough audience, but in some ways that was good. I learnt that I had to be striking in imagery. There was a lot of heckling would go on. Um, Shelton Lee one day I remember... Uh, just basically yelling at me from the crowd saying, just get on with it. 
Yeah, there's a lot of talk in the in that at that time about not writing in the eye or personally. Yeah. And so I, what, what people disparagingly call confessional poetry. Yeah, I hate that term, yeah. like because I think it's actually not um, a literary criticism. It's it implies that you've done something wrong. It's more of a judgment than a literary criticism. And yeah, I think that whole sort of attitude against that sort of poetry actually silenced women. Because and I think that still happens now when women write personally, it's called confessional. Confessional, and when men write personally, they're writing about the human condition. You know, and it's really easy for things to get dismissed as oh, that's women's writing. When really, it's women are, are humans, so it's about human nature. You know. Um, like, and the other night, it really is heartening for me to see that the poetry scene is actually representing the whole community, not just a very small section of it, which really was, you know, white, male, um, drunk. Did you ever try your hand at running a gig yourself? Yeah, I um, I ran Cafe Arts. And I was trying to think about what... what time it was but um I had my first daughter in 1988 and it was before my second daughter in um 92 so it was in those years um yeah that was a a cafe in um, Northcote on High Street and yeah my idea with that was that it would be a place that was more welcoming to to young people and to women and um yeah to more of the community than than the white older male that was dominating the the pub scene at the time. And how did you get people? That's before the days of you know social media. Yeah, how like did... people who run 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 events today. Like I, I really felt like if you're going to ask people to perform, you had to guarantee them an audience and a good time. So I spent a lot of time just talking to people, putting up posters on on um, lampposts and talking to people on the street, talking to buskers, inviting people. Yeah, trying to keep the audience healthy and, you know, trying to create more of a safe environment for people. And Yeah, I was sort of thinking about it and thinking, like, the way the scene is now. It, look, I think it's even – it's more respectful than than how it is, you know, when you're invited – to read at a university, like I think you can do a reading now and be treated professionally in the spoken word scene. People promote your books and, yeah, you often get paid more. <laughs> so it's really great. When things change, it seems to happen quickly. Like it seems to have happened quite quickly. But I suppose it takes a lot of people to do a lot of work over a lot of time for things to change. Lots of people have been working towards that for a long time and then maybe at some point it's critical mass and um, then things change and they seem to change quickly but really it's been a long time and a lot of work over a lot of years. I remember Deborah Conway said once that uh, she worked her ass off for 15 years to become an overnight success. Yeah, I think that's right and I think with um, poetry in Melbourne like there's been... So many dedicated people for so long, and if you look at the 
yeah, that people have been really dedicated without any reward or <laughs> recognition for so long and and now it's like it's got momentum and I think it will keep going. I think it's great. I don't know if there's anywhere else in the world that has so much poetry as Melbourne. Yeah, we're the best. We're the best. <laughs> what have you been working on? Thanks. Yeah, I've been working on um, a new collection. Yeah, it's got the working title of Ismaini's Survivable Resistance and it's sort of riffing off Sophocles' play Antigone and looking at Antigone being the feminist hero who speaks truth to power, but she dies as a consequence. And her sister... Um, is mainly she takes a different sort of road and she survives. So I'm sort of using Ismaini's name and melding it with my own voice to tell my own story of a contemporary Ismaini, like someone surviving after loss and trauma. And also, you know, thinking about what happens when women do make their voice public on social platforms, social media and the sort of death threats they get, that that's not a lot has necessarily changed since ancient Greece where a woman had to die because she spoke up. Yeah, the poetry scene has gotten better. <laughs> since ancient Greece. <laughs> since ancient Greece. <laughs> Would you like to share some? Sure. Ismene. The Dictionary of Dead Flowers tells me I am essential but dispensable. There will always be a space for you, she is saying. The weight of an old cat on my lap. Tied to the mast, salt in my joints. People to this place, this couch. Face to face with the page. The weight of an old betrayal. A room inside my dreams I didn't know was there. Unsheathed, splintered claws. Walled in her word, there was no room for me. The ceiling fan blades in my teaspoon. It's very intense. What's, yeah. Do you have to do you have to psych yourself up to write like that? <laughs> I don't psych myself up or get myself into a state. It's, I think it's the other way around. I'm already psyched up or in a state. And uh, I was reading actually in the Paris interviews today, um, Maya Angelou, and she was saying that, um, yeah, writing doesn't alleviate stuff, you know, that it doesn't make things better, like writing her memoirs and just made it clearer and gives things a name. Um, yeah, for me, I'm already in a state and it, I think it does alleviate things for me to make art out of it. It's something that exists outside of myself rather than contain, something that feels too intense to contain. Do you find that it flows out of you or do you have to work hard to get those lines? No, it doesn't flow out of me. Um, yeah, I, I write um, loads and loads and loads of rubbish and then I go back and look for the poetry in it. The surprises are where the interesting language, use of language and 
yeah, pick out lines and then I put them together and sort of see how they how they sit together and what what it might be saying. One poem comes out of maybe months of work of writing rubbish. Yeah. What happens to the rubbish? Um, I have a bookshelf of notebooks. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I counted them one day and I sort of worked out maybe there was about 27 notebooks would go into one book. I'll fill a notebook and then I'll go back through that notebook and look for stuff and then I'll I'll probably get one poem out of one notebook. So that's like a, you know, a moleskin. I have to write in a moleskin now. <laughs> so which came first? Yeah. The idea of the idea of using those characters or did they just kind of weave their way into something that you were writing? Yeah. I've always been interested in mythology um, and I just feel that, um, yeah, that ancient Greek mythology really informs, still really strongly informs how we think at the foundations of our thinking and, and the foundations of patriarchy like mind over body in the sense of reason and logical thinking being more important like there's a real hierarchy than than the emotional life or intuitive thinking so I really I like like to unpack that because I think it's still with us you know women do like to retell fairy tale and reposition um I've always loved that play. I think I did it at school at Antigone Play um, because it's got the strong female lead. But, um, you know, her sister has always been seen as the, even, you know, by feminists as the weaker character. So it's sort of interesting to go, well, to question that. Is that true? She just kept her resistance private and she didn't need to make it public. So it's that whole public versus private and, you know, um, re-politicising the private as, as political. You know, Eurydice's in the um, Orpheus myth, she doesn't speak or at all. She's just a bit part in Orpheus's life. So to think about her speaking and what her life is like living in the underworld is like writing myself into life. Do you think that's what uh, drew you to poetry in the first place? Yeah. I've always loved the Heidegger quote, it's revealing and concealing. Like I think it's a way to speak indirectly, directly. I feel like in poetry, um, yeah, there's this beautiful sense of not knowing and that things can mean many things at once and it being not logical or not, not have a linear logic and open to many possible meanings. So it's inclusive. It's inclusive. What excites me about poetry is that it, it's the unknown. We don't know anything. Nietzsche said God is dead and then someone came along, was it Bass, and said um, the author's dead. So the author's just one reader among many. I think that's really helpful. I don't think the writer is God creator. I think that it's the reader brings the work alive and they can, yeah, yeah. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. 
You are listening to Spoken Word on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack, and I'm chatting with Claire Gaskin today. Do you have a favourite form? I've had a long addiction to the pantoon, and um, I think I said to John Lennon once, when I was editing with him, that I'd written my last pantoon, and he just laughed. So <laughs> I love the the repetition and the hypnotic sort of thing you can do with a pantoon. It's a beautiful way of integrating seemingly disparate lines that aren't really... Do you have a pantoon here? Oh, I don't know if I do. I do in that old book. <laughs> this is a red book. It's a red book. <laughs> Thanks. Um, 2006. I still like this poem, yeah, I think. All the blue rushing through the pinpoint of an iris. All the blue rushing through the pinpoint of an iris. Lemon trees alight with yellow yells. Butterflies land on my father's bare head. The forces of the ocean gentle its bay shores. Lemon trees alight with yellow yells. The breath gentles the body. The forces of the ocean gentle its bay shores. Soldiers of sunset stand on the boulevard. The breath gentles the body. We are just clouds caught on fence posts. Soldiers of sunset stand on the boulevard while their motorbikes graze on the asphalt. We are just clouds caught on fence posts. Clapping hands, birds fly up to the shot of a gun while their motorbikes graze on the asphalt. The trenches in my dreams are full of father's blood. Clapping hands, birds fly up to the shot of a gun. Butterflies land on my father's bare head. The trenches in my dreams are full of father's blood. All the blue rushing through the pinpoint of an iris. It's like a film. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Clouds caught on a fence post. Yeah. It's so vivid. Yeah. And it can, it's very specific, but it, it, it's, again, it, it's embracing, isn't it? Like it? Like clouds and fences specific. I mean, poetry in general is specific. That still enables a lot of room for people to enter into it, doesn't it? Like, there's a, a story, Miranda July, I think is a really good example. In one of her stories, one of her characters doesn't know that she's broken up with her partner till she sees her partner with another woman at the shop. And, the, and she says, oh, she's wearing a white coat. In classes, I've asked people, well, what's the white coat? And some people will say, like, I, I'd, for me, I see a designer coat because I shop at op shops. Someone else sees a doctor's coat because, you know, it's whatever you feel threatened by, you're going to impose on that. Yeah. I find that really interesting. How do you teach poetry? Uh, I mean, some people say you can't. I think you can. I don't think it's, it's magic in lots of ways. It's such an odd thing to do. But I think people have to have some sort of drive, like Jung says, write, be wanting to write from inner necessity. Like sometimes when people say, oh, do you think I'm good enough? I feel like saying, well, if you need, this is a bit brutal, but if you need to ask, well, maybe not. Like, I think people have to be a bit 
like they have to want to do it, like be driven to do it. But then I think from there you can learn, like you can learn what alliteration is and how it works and lineation. You can learn those things and do lots of reading and but you can't learn something's going to be chewing your ass, I think. Um, you, got, you can't, yeah. When students rock up for the first time in a poetry class, yeah, what are they like? Um, it depends where you're, you're teaching. Yeah, often they're really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And, um, it's really a beautiful thing. Often they've been told by literature teachers not to be angsty and... I have to. I feel like I need to undo that and say, like, no, be angsty and don't think that you're ever going to stop. <laughs> I think people have to understand they have to be uncensored to write first. So let themselves be angsty, let themselves be cliche, just really, you know, do that. Allow themselves to write rubbish. I think the first thing people need to do to come at writing is to allow themselves to write lots and lots of rubbish not to sit down and think they've got to write well because that's going to really muck you up. And then from there you can, you know, go through the process of refining and editing and learning about the technique of poetry or forms if people want or, yeah, what it looks like on the page, you know, what it sounds like. And, yeah, hopefully lots of reading, getting out and seeing live poets and, um in the Melbourne spoken word scene. <laughs> yeah. And how do you mark poetry? Oh, I hate marking poetry. I would prefer never to mark poetry. And in some teaching situations, I don't. And that seems, um, yeah, that's more comfortable, like in adult education, not to mark it. But I, I, look, I, I generally know when people care. And when they've put in time and effort. Although, interestingly, sometimes you get people who are doing it as a breadth subject. They might come in from sciences and they just pick up the principles and write really interesting poetry. Because so that's what's difficult is that sometimes when it's coming from a really deep place with a young person, it's going to take time. So their first attempts might actually you know, be not as good as someone else who doesn't care much about it, if that makes sense. So I have to take all that into consideration. Like it, but I don't enjoy it. It's, it's not fun. Can you think of any standout students who you've really noticed grow? Yeah, I remember one, one student I bought in the data exercise where you just do cutouts from magazines and you get people to pick out phrases, six phrases from a bag. They just ran with that. They loved it so much. And they came back the next week and they'd done all this artwork with gold leaf and they were starting to put phrases on windows and then they told me they're having an exhibition, you know, like this stuff. And, yes, yeah, so sometimes, you know, it's really delightful. People just run with stuff. But also to like in with long-term students, like at the community centre I teach, yeah, you see people you know, hugely improve through the process of workshopping and, yeah, you see people, like, go leaps and bounds and sometimes I think, why do I encourage people to publish or whatever because it's so hard, but if but people do, so end up publishing and with a lot of hard work and, yeah, so it's rewarding to see that. What about the other side? Um, people could be writing really intense stuff. And they could go into dark areas of themselves. Yeah. Look, I um, 
In class, I try and ban people saying that something's dark or light or negative or positive. I think we live in the tyranny of positive thinking. And I just try and say, well, actually, truth is beauty. Seriously, I'm glad if someone told Kafka or Camus, whatever, to lighten up or not be dark, I'm glad they didn't listen because we'd miss out on all that great work. Um, but, yeah, look, poetry's, you know, you've got to go and dance. Like, poetry just keeps going deeper and then... But there's no flaw in poetry. There's no flaw. <laughs> How should people look after themselves, though? Um, I, I actually think that's really important. That's interesting because I feel like... Well, I'm just thinking about myself, self-care is actually doing the writing and when an artwork comes out of it, it's really, you know, no no work of creation can be a negative thing because it's a work of, because it's creation, it's not destruction. So, um, but having said that, I've had to come to terms with it actually is work and it does come at a personal cost and sometimes reading it comes at a, publicly, comes at a personal cost. So I think the self-care is just realising that it's work like if you do a marathon, you probably rest after it. And sometimes people think, you know, if you're writing, you know, it's not work. But, yeah, I think self-care is really important. Five things, whatever that is for you, whether it's lying around and listening to music or walking or having a bath or, yeah, five things at least. It's a discipline. Would you like to read another book? Sure. Which one? Oh, uh, look, this is a pantoon. Your favourite? Yeah. So I haven't stopped writing them. Um, thanks, John Anderson. Um, present at an event. What witness is pulled down with the blinds, shot through with moth holes of light? Positivity can kill you. Hands, ice, fists. Shot through with moth holes of light. I saw the season change on fact. My hands frozen syllables. A cyclone and a tear in my soup. I saw the season change on fact. There is no flaw. A frozen tear and a cyclone in my soup. Sums in my mother's hand. There is no flaw. Falls off the table. The paper with sums in my mother's hand. I can't find it. Falls off the table. I saw autumn leaves caught in a hairnet. I can't find it. A heartbeat comma in the glasses case. I saw autumn leaves caught in a hairnet on the asphalt outside the restaurant. A heartbeat comma in the glasses case of the long intake of relief grief. On the asphalt outside the restaurant. The glass grapes and shrinking lemons of the long intake of grief relief. The facts like scraps of medical journals. The glass grapes and shrinking lemons. Swept under the Chesterfields you sit on of symptoms you don't have. The facts like scraps of medical journals. 
Now there is new research to witness against loss. Swept under the Chesterfields you sit on of symptoms you don't have. Syllables can kill you. Now there is new research to witness against loss. What is pulled down with the blinds? Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Claire. Thank you very much, Brendan. It's a great pleasure. Claire Gaskin will be reading very soon at the Sporting Poets in Brunswick uh, at Compass Pizza on Ligon Street. So look up Sporting Poets on your favourite social media platform, the modern equivalent of a poster and a lamppost for details. Claire's new book, Eurydice Speaks, should also be launched later in the year by Hunter Publishers. So www.hunterpublishers.com.au is the site to watch for that. This is the Spoken Word Program on 3CR. Please tune in every week at 9am on 855am or stream from 3cr.org.au. I am Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening. Thank you.